You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch. Sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those Voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today... My hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's great to be back for this hour with all of you. Joining me in just a moment will be Shai Averett. Shai is the Senior Education and Diversity and Inclusion Community Program and Events Manager for Microsoft. Shai has literally been serving her community since she was a child, and we're going to hear why from her in just a moment. Um, A brief announcement about our watch team of on-air contributors. We currently have openings in both our Philadelphia and New York markets. 
It's so if you're interested in learning more about the opportunity to be a part of the show, feel free to reach out to Laura at Laura at womentowatch.net or you can visit our website at womentowatch.net to download our partner guide and be sure while you're there to sign up for our newsletter and our podcast as well. So now I am honored and thrilled again to welcome to the show Shai Everett. Uh, Shai, welcome to Women to Watch. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Um, I've been reading a lot about your, not only your your professional journey, but um, also about your personal one. And I think that it's going to be really interesting for our listeners to learn how and why you have really followed your heart since you were young. And I wanted to start off with a quote from your mom. Your mom said, I wanted to be sure that Shai could go into any situation and have a good chance of survival without me. I really love the relationship um, that you have with your mom. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about her. Oh, man. Um, My mom is the best. She is... um... That is such a sensitive topic. It's it's one of those things where, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about her without getting emotional, but she is... Um, definitely the reason why I am the way I am right now. Um, I mean, so much of, of my, my morals and, and my, my character and what I believe, um, how I operate, how I treat people, um, my empathy, my compassion all came from my mom. Um, she was very, very, very intentional at a young age, uh, to teach me, um, different principles and different things that she thought would pretty much guide me in the right, um, way and on the right path. And I can definitely say I a hundred percent would not be where I am uh, right now without some of those lessons that she taught me at a very young age. So, uh, she is my best friend and she is amazing still to this day. So, and it, it really was just the two of you. You must, you know, have a really special bond with her. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was always my mom and I. So, um, we, um, yeah, we, we, we've been through it all. So she's, I mean, she's been there. Well, clearly she's been there since I was born. So she is, um, <laughs> yeah. as I was saying, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But yeah, she is, yeah, it's always, it's always been just her and I. So I mean, she played every role that she needed to play, uh, to make sure that I had everything that I needed. And what I love the most about her is that even when we didn't have, she never let me know that we didn't have. Like I, you know, I remember times where we only could afford rice and we ate rice every day, but she reminded me that rice was one of my favorite foods. So she played it as if she was just giving me rice every single day for dinner because I loved it. So I just, I was like, mom is the best. I'm like, does your mom give you your favorite food every day? I didn't realize that the 59 cent bag of rice, you know, at the grocery store was all that we could afford at the moment. But she, she never let whatever was going outside. She never let it in the house. So wow. we, we still had love. The strength was still there. The compassion was still there. Um, the, the laughter, the joy, the peace was still there. No matter what was going on on the outside, she never let it come in our home. Um, mm. And I, I love her for that. Wow. That, you know, and it's remarkable as well, because while that was happening and she was trying to shield you from that, she was also pointing out to you people in the community who were struggling Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and were in need. Right. So she put all Mm -hmm. the focus outward. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that was a big thing. I mean, I remember my, I want to say it was maybe my fifth, uh, maybe I was five or six. Um, and you know, every Christmas we would go shopping and we would pick out all the gifts. Um, and eventually Christmas was always about giving. So all of the, you know, if I picked out 20 gifts, 19 of them would go to a, a foster home or a homeless shelter. And that was exciting for me. I would wake up, you know, on Christmas morning, like, yo, we're, we're about to go give these gifts away. And that's all I knew. Mm. Right. Um, <laughs> right. she never, she never made it about anything else. So I, yeah. It's, it's so funny. People look at, you know, holidays and Christmas and things in a different way. And I'm like, I I only know one way and I love it. I, I wouldn't yeah. change it for the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, somebody else that I read about that was influential in your life was your pastor, Dr. Uh-huh. David Robertson. And yeah. you, you know, you said he was like a father figure for yeah. you. What, Very what, tell so. me what, tell me what he provided emotionally for you Jeez. that you needed. Whew. Um, I was, I think I was 13 when I started going to 12 or 13 when I started going to New Hope. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting that, you know, most of us need something. We just sometimes can't communicate what we need, or we don't know how to communicate or even how to identify it. Um, and I found myself, um, when I first joined the church, uh, we immediately had this connection and him being the, the pastor of a, uh, of a large church, we had this amazing connection. Um, and somehow I found myself leaning on him and asking questions. Um, and he ended up filling kind of this role as a father. So no matter what was going on in my life, when it was father's day, I would go over his house. Um, and his family loved me, you know, all the same, which is interesting because he had a daughter who was the same age as I, um, a son who was a little bit younger than me and and we all spent the holidays together so it was a beautiful thing um and the manner in which he he you know loved on me and and just guided me um as much as he could I, I, I didn't realize what I was missing until he began to provide those things and I realized it's just growing up it was just one part of me um, that I was yearning for in the sense that he provided without me even asking. So definitely, mm-hmm. I love Pastor Roberson. He is, uh, mm-hmm. I, I will never forget him for sure. Yeah. There's such a difference, isn't there, between, um, you know, a mother figure and a male figure in our life when Ooh. we're little girls. Yes, there is a huge, most people don't realize that um, the importance of, of male Figures, and like you say, especially for young girls, there's a difference. There's one thing to have your mom, right? Um, and that's always super important. And and nothing trumps a, a mother's love and that mother daughter relationship. But there is something different. Um, and there's there's a strength. There's I can't even put it into words. Um, and I think it's one of the things that we often see that's lacking sometimes um, when young girls don't have relationships with their fathers or don't have fathers in their lives. Um, we see some of the fruits of um, the the lack of that relationship. So, no, it is it's very different. And it is I think it is something that's very important. It's not talked about enough. Right. I agree. I agree. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking to Shai Averett, and she is the um, Senior Education DNI Community Program and Events Manager for Microsoft. 
Um, one of the things that was really impressive to me, Shai, was that you were elected president of Michigan's NAACP at 15 years old, uh, making you the youngest to serve uh, there. How does a naturally modest girl like you um, do that? <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know what it is. I, I am, um, I think starting at the age of eight, I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew what I was passionate about and everything that I did led back to that. Um, so even with me, I joined the NAACP at 12 because I told my mom that I wanted to help people who needed help. So we found out that they had a youth council. I got involved and she became advisor of the youth council. I became president of Detroit Youth Council. And then we started going to the state conventions. And um, I, didn't, I didn't like the way the state leadership was running, especially for the youth and college and young adult division. So the next uh, two years, they had an election. And it's interesting because the division, that division is like 13 to you know 25 and here I am 15 running for president for the whole state and I, I won I, I held the position for eight years so um it was uh, my mom believed in me um she she saw it I told her I wanted to do it she never questioned it and that's what I love um she just always made sure she asked me she, you know does it point back to whatever it is that you know, you ultimately said you wanted to do. Cause sometimes I would say, I want to do something and then I'll come back, you know, a month later, like, like all kids, but like, mom, I want to design jewelry. I, I didn't say that, but I'm using that as an example. <laughs> and she's like, right. okay, so how does this connect with this passion that you said you had for helping people? Right. Um, right. And if I couldn't connect it, she would just look at me and I would walk away and I'll come back. I'm like, I'm not supposed to do it right. And she was like, what do you think? And I'm like, darn it. Right. So it was always, so the NAACP thing was easy. Um, I'm naturally, when I see a problem, my, my, my natural instinct is to try to fix it. And because I felt like that the young people needed to be serviced and being taken care of more. And there were just so many issues we needed to address. Um, I just felt like what better way to, to, to get involved than to, to have a leadership position where I could really um, impact change. Are you are you comfortable, Shy, in talking publicly to, to large groups or yeah, to people? Or do you kind of, you know, Not you're behind all. the scenes. OK, so <laughs> you're that's it. <laughs> I, am, I am the behind the scenes. Like you can catch me behind the curtain every time. It doesn't matter what it is. Like if you see the curtain moving, you be like, I bet you that shy. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I'm. Don't take no picture. Don't put me on camera. Do not bring me out on stage. No, I am. I'm okay being behind the scenes. Some people need to be up front. I don't need to be up front. I, if the people who need to be up front to move and shake and work, let them be up front. If that is the thing that's going to fuel them, I don't need to be up front. So I, I allow that spotlight for other people who need it. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some people who really, really deserve it. So I'm... I'm good. I'm, I yeah. am good in the background. Well, that's why I appreciate you coming on the show, Shai, because I think it's important for other women and young girls like yourself who really don't um, crave that limelight to share how you can get things done without saying Look at me, look at me, you know. Oh, so yeah. I think it's I think it's important. Listen, we have to go into our, our first break. When we come back, I'll continue my conversation with Shai Averett from Microsoft. Stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Health Watch. 
For Health Quatch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Spring is finally here. As you celebrate Passover and Easter with a stroll in your finest apparel, pay close attention to your footwear. Because ladies, you can pay a big price for wearing those giant high heels. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we learned about foot care from Dr. James Zacharia, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon and doctor of podiatric medicine. Starting with bunions, I thought it was from convincing my feet to squeeze into those shoes I got on sale. Instead, they're more often hereditary. Plantar fasciitis. That sharp pain in the sole of your foot near the heel that hurts with those first steps in the morning? Now that everybody's walking more with the pandemic. Orthotics, what are they and when do I need them? We discuss the complications of diabetes. One is neuropathy or nerve damage, which can decrease sensation or cause numbness. The other, decreased circulation or blood flow. Both can cause muscle damage leading to hammer toes and a fallen arch. Decreased sweating causes scaly and cracked skin. Now add poorly fitting shoes that rub your toe or burning your feet on a hot deck or the sand. You get a blister or open sore which you can't feel. Add decreased blood flow making it harder to heal. Up to 20% of the time, chronic ulcers lead to amputation. The American Diabetes Association offers guidelines for nail care, checking pulses, and careful examination of the feet, including between the toes. So don't smoke. Test water temperature before you get into the bath. Get socks that fit and change them daily. Cover your feet. And if your feet are misshapen, you may need custom shoes. Regular visits to the podiatrist. Nails should be trimmed to the shape of the toe and use a file for sharp edges. Avoid ingrown toenails because infection can lead to amputation. For everyone, cover your feet, at least flip-flops, and if you're a runner, change your shoes about every three months. And if a growing belly, arthritis, or decreased vision make it hard to reach or see your toenails, put your feet into the hands of a podiatrist. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manson from Pathways Consulting Group. I don't know about you, but I was not always good with finances. Even today, I still hesitate in making financial decisions. Let's face it, for some, talking about and dealing with finances can be a difficult topic. So I probably was not the best person to help my children with financial decisions, and I know I could have used a lot more help in that department. I'm sure that many of you would agree that to instill good decision-making processes in children, we have to do this when they're very young. Most children start to recognize the concept of money by age five or six. Even my two-year-old grandson knows the difference between a penny and a quarter. So getting them started at a young age is not a very difficult task with so much access to information on this topic online and with so many new apps that are geared toward teaching children about spending and saving. There's lots of help for us as adults to better educate children about finances. As I often do when creating a segment, I started with Google and found so much information on this topic. On LinkedIn's In Learning, I found a segment by Winnie Sun, a longtime financial advisor and money personality. Her tutorial is about teaching kids about finance. I love this segment. Winnie just has a way of making you feel comfortable and motivated to take the first steps in working with children on finances. It's definitely worth listening to. Additionally, during my search, I found an article on parentology.com by Lauren Wellbank called Best Apps That Teach Kids Personal Finance. Depending on what your goal is, there could be an app for you and your children like Thrive and Shine, a free and fun mobile game about money where kids learn by making thousands of financial decisions just like they would in real life. Greenlight is a debit card for kids where they learn to manage real money. 
and FAMZOO that can provide a prepaid card tied to their FAMZOO account that teaches them about earning and spending money. Talking about finances can be a difficult topic to approach, but with so much information at our fingertips, it's gotten much easier. To hear more on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Shai Averitt from Microsoft. And Shai's job is an important job working um, within the diversity and inclusion arena and education, community relations for the company. And prior to Microsoft, Shai, you were working, I understand, in marketing and community relations for a real estate development firm. Tell me how this opportunity with Microsoft came about? Um, you know what? I was I was working at the real estate firm, um, like you said, doing community relations. Um, wasn't happy. Um, and partially because, you know, community relations means something different to everyone. Uh, and because it was sitting underneath marketing, it was more about community for, you know, to try to sell things in a sense. So, you know, I literally... The best thing that I can tell you is that I I was on the computer and my email went off and there was a recruiter from Microsoft who said, we found your resume online. I don't even know what resume they found, but they found my resume online. Um, (laughs) And literally um, they said, you know, we think you would be a good fit. Would you be interested in applying? And I'm like, Microsoft community events. And this was just for community program and events just over the Detroit, um, greater Detroit kind of Michigan area. So I applied. It was a three-month process. Uh, It was grueling, but 100% 100% worth it. Uh, I, I led the program and events for community for three and a half years for Detroit uh, before I moved out to Seattle um, to my current position. So, Okay. How rewarding is it for you to be able to work for a company like Microsoft where you're doing incredibly rewarding work that you love, and I would say that you were born to do, but these resources are coming from someone else allowing you to do it? man it's um you know what it's a blessing it's um you know i I would say to anyone listening this is what happens when when you tap into why you were created and what you are supposed to be doing this is the stuff that i expect and not in a entitlement way um but you know these are the results a lot of people they they chase the wrong thing so they'll chase money or they'll chase fame or they'll chase a position um and interesting enough we just had a conversation last week where you know i've turned down more of all of those things to be right where I am now because this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And I think about the impact. I think about every event we've done, there is a story that always lets me know why we did that event. So whether or not it's you know a kid who comes up to me or a mom who sends an email later, um, and to know that I get to be a part of that and to know that you know I get to utilize the gifts that I have and connected with a company such as Microsoft to be able to empower individuals all over the world to, to be better and to, to do more and achieve more. I mean, you, I, yeah, I don't know what more anybody could ask. So it, it's a blessing. I don't I don't take it lightly at all. You know, Shai, when I 
think about um, social problems and, and things that happen in the world that many people want to be able to make a difference in. You know, there's been poverty-stricken neighborhoods, crime, homelessness, drugs for a very, very long time in every part of the country. What do you think? This is a big question, but, you know, what do you think the key is to ending the cycle for people to fall into that place as opposed to, you know, really rise up and, and do what their own calling is? Mm. Okay, big question. Uh, you know what? I, I would I would say two things, um, and they're going to sound really simple, but I'll elaborate. I, I think we all could be a little less selfish. Um, and I think uh, love um, and that sounds really probably cliche, um, but I think that um, if people, you know, from a selfish perspective, pe- people are trained to think solely about themselves. Um, they think about how things impact them. They don't think about how things impact others. So we move in ways where it could hurt other people or it could take away from other people or could negatively affect other people. And it doesn't even cross our minds because we're only thinking of ourselves. Um, and it, unfortunately, what happens is it takes for us to be in that same situation and we want someone else to give us that same grace or someone else to give us that same consideration um, for us to be able to now then have empathy and compassion. Um, and it shouldn't take all of that. Like we should, we should live in a space where you know, our lives should be in service to everyone else. Um, and then, I mean, I say love just because in general, I think if, if people love themselves more and loved others more, if they love themselves more and loved others the same manner in which they love themselves, then they would treat people the same way they would want to be treated. Um, and I think that yes. will land us in a, in a definitely in a different space. Right. Um, I want to share a quote real quick that um, you said you see the whole puzzle and you think that the puzzle is too huge, but you have to understand you're just one piece and you can play a part. How do you not get overwhelmed by the enormity of work that needs to be done? I, I, don't, I don't know if I don't get, well, no, I don't get overwhelmed because I understand that, you know, again, it's, it's back to that quote, I'm doing my part. Like I go to sleep well knowing that I did my part, right? And I think people, um, my mom used to tell me that if you look at the whole beach and you think that you have to make the sand completely different, that feels overwhelming until you really realize that if you move one grain of sand, the beach is actually completely different. It may not look Mm. completely different, but you've actually just changed it. Um, And in that same manner, all of us can play. It's it's one little piece, but we don't have the option not to show up. And I think for me, I realized that a long time ago, that me not showing up does not just impact me. It impacts a whole lot of other people when I don't show up. So I take that responsibility. And as long as I know I'm showing up, it doesn't become overwhelming because I know that whatever whatever task I have is what I can handle handle, right? So right, I right. think that's the piece, but everybody just needs to show up and realize that when you don't, so many more people are impacted other than just you. 
Yeah, I, I love that example. And it's a great visual to mm-hmm. remind ourselves when we're overwhelmed, because the news can certainly put us in that headspace. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're going to go into our next break. I'll be back with Shai Averett from Microsoft. Stay with us for our watch team. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. With April here, I want to highlight the month's significance for the military community, specifically for its youngest members. April is the month of the military child and has been since 1986 when it was established by former Defense Secretary Caspar Weinberger. This recognition month is a time to honor the sacrifices made by the children of military members serving at home and overseas. According to the Department of Defense, there are currently 1.7 million dependent children of service members who serve in the armed forces, and approximately 2 million military children have experienced a parental deployment since 9-11. These military children enable their parents to answer that call of duty. They come to understand and accept why at times their family life must be balanced with service to the nation, which I can tell you from having children of my own is one of the most challenging parts of serving. General Ray Odierno, Army Chief of Staff, said, the strength of our nation is our army, the strength of our army is our soldiers, and the strength of our soldiers is our families. So you see, we need our military families and our military children in order to protect this nation, and we must recognize the needs of these children. Another major sacrifice these children make is never quite getting comfortable in any one spot for too long. The average military family moves three times more often than civilian families, calling for children to navigate new schools, friends, towns, or even countries very often. My children were older when I deployed to Iraq, but in some ways it made it harder knowing they were old enough to watch the news and understand the severity of the situations. Their support, though, for the choices I made empowered me to do what was asked of me. Military kids of all ages are the finest examples of resiliency in the military community, and I salute each and every one of these brave boys and girls this month and always. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at marketing through the lens of empathy and the power of empathy to drive meaningful engagement. But in a digital world ruled by data, algorithms, and technology, where does empathy come into the mix? Today, marketers have access to an overabundance of data. In fact, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are produced by humans every day. Amid this deluge of data, we often forget that behind the numbers are people and their stories. According to experts, data-driven empathy is understanding the story behind a data set to guide our choices. As we shift from analyzing numbers to analyzing people, marketers are swiftly adapting to data-fueled everything. Data-inspired creative, data-inspired media, CRM, and even data-fueled content production, moving all of us one step closer to -to one-to-one personalization at scale. But what will ultimately define any brand's success are the human insights and keys to empathy that lie within the data. In his book, Restoring the Soul of Business, staying human in the age of data. My friend and colleague, Rashad Tabakawala, describes bringing together data-driven empathy as 
obtaining the story behind the spreadsheet. Rashad says the most successful leaders and organizations will leverage data in ways that extract and amplify meaning and not just math, asking the right questions and evolving diverse perspectives when analyzing data. In order to achieve data empathy, we need to focus on the stories and the real identities behind the numbers. We need to understand our real customers, what motivates them, and identify the best next action to make better decisions. Until next time, I'm Lynn Falconio for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Shai Averett. And again, Shai is the Senior Education and DNI Community Program and Events Manager for Microsoft. Um, Shai, I definitely want to talk about something that you started and founded um, called Man Code, which I think is so incredibly important. There's a lot of things happening in the world today for women and girls like this show. But I think you're right that we might not be paying enough attention to, to the boys and, um, you know, what, what's happening with them and their heads and emotionally in 2017, an eight year old boy came up to you and said, why the black girls code program was only available for girls. What a smart little boy, right? To ask that question. So first I want to, when he, when he approached you and he said that, what was your immediate thought? <laughs> so, you know, it, um, it's funny because, you know, all tech companies have just been so ingrained with, you know, women in tech, women in tech, women in tech. So when, when little Brian came up to me and I, and it's so not like me, but I was ready to throw the stats at him and be like, well, you know, at this time, only 27% of women make up the, you know, the, right. the, the, the tech Start lecturing him on equal pay. Right. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, this is why we here only for the girls young man you know but then when he when he looked at me he was he just looked at me and he was like I've never used a computer before and I was like okay so in my mind I just said I said okay we're gonna do something for Brian we'll do something for Brian we'll get some of his friends I'll come back next time I do a girls coding event at this one school in Detroit um and then that night just uh, the researcher and me that's when I found that alarming statistic saying that for black and brown boys they only make up 2.2 percent of those in stem related careers so I kind of knew at that point that I couldn't just do something for Brian um, it needs to be something bigger. Um, and this was in April. Uh, and I called a couple of community partners at about midnight, woke them up, uh, cause my brain was on fire. And I'm like, <laughs> I want to call it man code. We're going to do this. I'm like, all of the mentors and teachers have to be black and brown males. Cause I want them to be able to see themselves, um, and see what they can be. Um, and I was like, and I want to do it before the school year is over. And I have no clue where we're going to do it. And it's so funny because everybody, said okay well let's do you know let's have 50 kids here or 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 you know you know the first one you always start off small so I was like right. no I want to do like 300 you know everybody's like school is <laughs> out in like a month and a half shy and I'm like okay well we got some work to do and literally I kid you not we didn't even know where to do it we didn't have any computers and um 
uh, Wayne County Community College, someone called, I think the next day and literally reached out and said, um, you know, hey, we heard about the, the community things that you're doing and wanted to reach out and see if you wanted to host any events here. And I'm like, you bet I do. So I went down, <laughs> saw it. They had one date in May that was less than a month away. Um, and I said, let's go forward. And we pushed uh, to, to so many different schools to get these young black and brown boys registered in our first one. We had close to 500 boys uh, at our first one, and it was a full wow. day. Wow. Um, so that was that was our first one in 2017. And when I got offered the position in Seattle, it was one of those contingency things. I'm like, the program comes with me. Um, so and then so we end up launching it nationally in 2018 with about 680 boys uh, in Seattle, which is okay. if you don't know Seattle, that is major because that's probably all of the black and brown <laughs> young boys in the whole entire state. Um, wow. And then so since 2017, um, we've hit probably about 200,000 uh, black and brown boys just teaching them different um, things around technology and life skills skills and mentoring, financial literacy, professional development. So yeah, it is hands down my favorite program. That's incredible. That's incredible. Your, um, your motto is go fast and go big. (laughs) Right. Don't, don't slowly develop. Is, did Microsoft um, fund that or is that a sponsored event now? Um, It is, you know, um, we have a lot of partners that come in interesting enough um, who will donate their services like you know a lot of we've had some amazing speakers we've had food venues that come in and be like oh we heard you got 700 kids we'll pay for the food so it's interesting I love it um, Microsoft powers it um, so all the technology all of the classes um, 90% of the mentors and teachers all come from Microsoft um, but we have a ton of amazing community partners um, organizations and businesses who have come in just to to try to help us keep this program alive. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, when I think about um, boys, you know, I I think one of the things that we do wrong as a society or maybe as grownups is this message they receive is that they're not supposed to connect with their emotions mm-hmm. and, and be vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. And and have dreams. And, yeah. you know, it, because you're involved in this program, how do you think we can help boys understand that really it's much better and more healthy for them to allow themselves to be human in that way? Oh, man. Um, You know, I I would tell you this, and you hit on really transparently what probably is the number one goal of the program. Um, And and although we do all the tech things, one of the things I didn't mention, we always have these man code sessions where a mentor talks to, you know, a couple of boys in this private group session. And it's it's turned into, you know, almost this therapeutic healing session. Um, And really quickly, I'll tell you, even on the last one that we did in Seattle, one of the young boys on the way there got pulled over by the police guns drawn. It was a mistaken identity, 16 years old um, and end up coming anyway and got to tell the group of men who were there what happened. And then other young guys, they started talking about what happened to them and they all loved on each other. And they ended up missing their next two tech sessions because they were in there crying and hugging. And we had some mentors in there with them. So I love it. And that's why I said every single event, there's always one thing that makes me say, okay, this is why we did this one. It's not even right. about the numbers. It's something bigger. Um, and I think it's that holistic approach where I think for anybody doing community work, 
you can't care so much about the thing that you forget about the person. Right. And I think right. that's exactly always been our thing is that, you know, if they need to stay in there and talk about whatever they're going through, who cares about coding? And I hate to say that I probably shouldn't say that as a Microsoft person, but like we care <laughs> about the individual and the kids. Yes. And we want we want them to be better, whatever that means. And if they need to, if they need healing from something else, or they need to get in touch with their emotions, if we can help facilitate that, then, then why not? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Listen, we're going to go into our last break. We'll come back with Shai Averett of Microsoft. Now the women to watch legal watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard's Bar for your Legal Watch. As we head into 2021, the face of company mergers is changing. More target businesses than ever are under pressure to make a speedy transition to the public market after being acquired by SPACs or blank check companies. Typically, when a SPAC buys a company, the plan is to take it public within two years, and they have a pre-planned strategy to do that. But this fast lane to the stock exchange doesn't lessen the rigorous requirements of being a public company. Recall that on a previous Women to Watch segment, I described the new regulations regarding board diversity standards for public companies. There are also quarterly filings, annual filings, and typically more lawsuits filed against public companies. The blank check company boom is definitely drawing the attention of regulators who are keeping a close eye on compliance. There are, however, a few things companies can do to make the transition a little easier. Know that it will take some advanced planning. A company intending to go public needs to build a strong internal team, one that's familiar with the public company world of regulators and ongoing filings. The company should also have a firm plan in place regarding corporate governance, and strong audited financial statements. It's important to also be mindful that private placements are available to secure additional financing. There are a lot of balls in the air at once. As with any legal move, it's critical that you involve a legal team with experience. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch, and we're here to help. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. I want to talk to you today about how to disagree with someone respectively, because this is an interesting time to learn how to disagree, but still be inclusive where you're not just disagreeing. A trusting relationship is when you can go to that difficult conversation and be curious. Many times the emotions that are rising when disagreeing are not what the person's saying, but they're how you're interpreting that comment. And this is what taints the relationship. So first, it's helpful to reflect on your own bias in the situation. You need to understand what you believe and make sure you like what you believe and then understand that others have a right to their choice. And then ask yourself, why is it so difficult for you to hear others' opinions about this topic? Sure, you can feel mad or angry or upset, but that is your experience. You need to try to understand what they're experiencing. And that's when you can hold that space for that person and start to be more inclusive of their experience. You see, disagreeing is not an all or nothing thing. There isn't one unique truth. Disagreements happen often in the workplace, especially when someone calls you out. 
And this gray area is hard to navigate if you haven't taken the time to understand why you're triggered by this disagreement. It's an art to learn how to disagree and have have respect for someone that you disagree with. It takes reflection and understanding. And most importantly, it takes holding space of curiosity so you can build trust with that person. Right now, I encourage everyone to create a way to disagree with integrity. And it starts with understanding your own unique bias and filter first. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking to Shai Averett of Microsoft. And, and just before the break, we were talking about an incredible um, event um, or organization, I'll say ManCode, teaching boys, you know, about the benefits of going into technology. And when I look over, Shai, your entire story, and again, both personally and professionally, I think there's a big difference between acts of kindness, you know, kind of doing the right thing in the moment, and activism. And my first question, I don't know that everybody is meant for activism, right? It might not be um, just, you know, what you're meant to be doing. And first of all, would you say you, you are meant for activism? And for those people who are not, um, how powerful, you know, individual acts of kindness can be and how far they can go. So the, the first, to answer your first question, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm both. I can do activism. I can do acts of kindness. Uh, but I was created for that, right? And I think, you know, the bigger thing is, I think when we talk about acts of kindness, I think everybody was created to be kind in some kind of way, shape, or form. Anybody can tap into, you know, who they are and, and their emotions. And really, it's about, again, thinking about how you will want to be treated. When you look at somebody before you judge them, think about if you were in that situation, how you will want somebody to treat you. And I think that's the piece that makes it powerful because then again, that empathy comes out and we begin to love um, each other and treat each other as if, you know, the same way we want to be treated. Right. I agree. I agree. And it, you know what? It is a cliche, but it's because it's just the truth. Um, yeah. I thank you so much. I, I know how busy you are and um, I really appreciate your coming on the show and sharing this story. I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with co-founder and CEO of Pendulum Therapeutics, Colleen Cutcliffe. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.